You know, when we look at our company and our goals, our number one goal is to serve our investors. Okay. And that could sound like corny or cliche, but it's true. Like if we don't get strong returns, if we're not executing our business plan and creating strong returns for investors, we don't have a business, right? Because yeah. they're not going to keep investing with us. We can't keep buying deals. And so, you know, one of our advantages is because we're so concentrated right now, like as of today, we have over 1500 units. We can get to any one of those deals within 20 to 30 minutes. Nice. Okay. So, so our asset management and our construction management is, is very efficient and in tune. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Zach Kaptenstahl from Rise 48 Equity. And today, we're learning about successfully investing in the Phoenix, Arizona market. Zach's company, Rise 48 Equity, has bought nearly $300 million in real estate and just under 1,700 units in that area as I record this today. And no doubt in the future, they will continue acquiring more. And today we're talking about the fundamentals of the Phoenix market, what makes it a strong area, or at least what makes Zach perceive it as a strong area. We're talking about the future of the Phoenix market from a business standpoint, but also from a, a climate concern standpoint, right? Because it's already hot there and the climate models all have it getting hotter there. So how is the area planning to deal with the, the future of the climate? What are they gonna do about the water? All of that stuff, don't worry, they have a plan, but we're gonna talk about that today with Zach and all of the fundamentals of that market that make it look good for the future. We also talk about the projected future of his company, what he sees in the future because they own quite a number of assets there in Phoenix and how how long can you continue to grow till you own the whole own the whole uh, MSA so we talk about what their plans are in the future as they continue to grow and acquire more assets there in Phoenix I'm a big fan personally of the Phoenix market I've been there a few times it's very pretty it also seems to have excellent business fundamentals very uh, strong compared to some of its neighboring states and excellent growth potential for the future, at least uh, seeming from my position. So I'm a big fan. I plan to do more there in the future. Great information today from Zach. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please do take a quick second. Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That helps me feel good because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us going out there and building wealth with real estate. It's all about learning from the show. That's what we're here for, to help you learn and grow as a real estate investor. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, do look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. As I said a little bit earlier, I've not actually bought anything in Phoenix, but I think in the future, it has a lot of the fundamentals that I'm a big fan of. So I plan to continue learning, monitoring that market. And hey, maybe I'll see if I can do something there. And uh, this information from Zach, maybe this will come in handy in the future. And maybe it'll come in handy for you as well in the future, whether you're someone in California that's looking to invest out of state. Hey, Phoenix is not that far away from you or no matter where you are. You can invest from a distance. So really interesting stuff from Zach Haptonstall of Rise 48 Equity. You're going to learn a lot. Without any further ado, here we go. 
Zach, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on, Taylor. I really appreciate it. I look forward to uh, providing some value for your listeners. So very grateful to be on the show. Happy to have you. And I have no doubt that you will provide plenty of value for the listeners today. Uh, For those out there who don't know about you and your business, can you give us a quick intro to yourself and Rise 48 and everything you're up to? Yeah, absolutely, Taylor. Thanks so much. So yeah, so so Rise 48, there's three of us who started the company, Vikron, Sandy, Robert, Shevchik, myself. You know, all three of us have quit any other W-2 jobs or businesses we're associated to focus on this business 100%. All of us are here local in Phoenix, Arizona. We're only focused on buying properties in Phoenix at this time, okay? So we're looking for value-add multifamily properties here in the Phoenix Metro, salaried employees. So we have a team of 12, you know, that is fully focused on our, our portfolio every single day. So, you know, since 2019, we've acquired... Uh, 14 assets you know, worth over $250 million, um, you know, about 2,000 units or so. So we've been very fortunate to really gain that momentum and kind of leverage our, our local relationships to, to make it work. So that's kind of a little, little summary of us at Rise 48 Equity. Awesome. And actually, I thought back about it. I met uh, Robert a few years ago at a, a real estate guys event there in Phoenix. Okay. And yeah, yeah. So I, I'm familiar with him as well. And Small world. Yeah, totally. It's a very small world. Something that I noticed when I was researching you guys and learning about your business is really how concentrated or 100% concentrated you are in Phoenix. And I wanted to learn more about the Phoenix market because, you know, I've been there a couple of times. It always looked great, but I wondered, you know, where is the opportunity because it's such a pretty well established city. So yeah. I'd like to learn more about that market. Yeah. Yeah. Good question, Taylor. So I was born and raised here in Phoenix over my entire life. So I, I know it pretty well. And to kind of give you an idea, I mean, Phoenix is now the fifth largest city in the entire country between four to 5% in that same, in that same period. So when you look at population growth, rent growth, Phoenix is number one, um, really with no competition. And then, you know, job growth, depending which metrics you look at, it's top five, top 10, and so it, it's a market where it's obviously very large. We have a ton of people moving here from primarily California, Washington State, New York, New Jersey, these, these higher cost of living environments, right? With higher taxes, they're coming to Phoenix, which has such strong job growth. They might be making the same, if not more money they were making before. And they're coming into a market with a, with a much lower cost of living. Okay, so that Delta is a big reason why you're seeing such strong growth here. And the truth is, Taylor, I mean, we, we fall on workforce affordable housing, okay? So the majority of the demographic lives in the type of properties that we buy and that we add value to, to increase, increase the value and, and create a profit margin for our investors, okay? The reality is there's not enough inventory of workforce housing for all the people coming here. It's literally a supply and demand issue in favor of landlords and investors, okay, where there's just, and it is a massive, it is a massive market. There's plenty of inventory to buy, but with all the people coming here, you know, almost everything, almost every property is 95, 100% occupied and people just keep coming. And so it's, it's kind of the perfect storm of fundamentals. You know, it's not overbuilt. The absorption is actually much higher than the new construction or the pipeline. Okay. And so it's, it's all these different factors that are making Phoenix really strong. I mean, one powerful statistic that, you know, we provide to our investors um, for our opportunities is, you know, last year, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which is a U.S. federal agency, the BEA, they announced that Phoenix was number one in the entire country 
for personal income growth at 8.4%. And that's a powerful statistic because it indicates that tenants can afford these rental increases. They're making more money. And so it's just all these things that really, you know, makes Phoenix such a such a strong market. And, and with that said, Taylor, I mean, the, the secret's out, right? So all these <laughs> large companies, all the private equity companies, institutional life insurance companies, they're all trying to deploy capital in Phoenix. So it's extremely competitive. You know, cap rates are being compressed. Prices are obviously going up. And so to be a private syndication group like us, you know, who serves the retail investor, everyday people, you know, we're, we're raising money from people 50 to 100K minimums. It's, t- it's tough to compete with these large companies that have a ton of equity and they have a lower cost of, of capital. They don't need to get as strong returns as we do for our investors to be interested. So, you know, we really have to leverage our local relationships. I mean, nine of our last 10 acquisitions have been completely off market with no competition from anybody else directly through broker relationships. Okay. So between the 20 to $50 million purchase price space, you know, we really are getting the first look on a lot of these deals from the top five to six brokerage groups. And it's because we're local, we were able to form these relationships, um, you know, prove that we're, we're credible that we perform, we do what we can or, or what we say we will rather, and that we move quickly. Okay. So being local has a lot of advantages and those are some of the reasons we're so, we're so bullish on Phoenix. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it definitely uh, seems like it has very great fundamentals. And I wonder, speaking of the, the population growth, migration, I think one of the memes that you hear, if you will, is that everybody's fleeing California and they're going places like Phoenix or Dallas and other, you know, kind of hot cities. Is that really accurate or, or are people kind of coming from all around to Phoenix or is it? You know, it's it's both. Yeah, it's both. It's a hundred percent accurate. I mean, pre COVID people were fleeing California coming. <laughs> okay. And, and since COVID it's just accelerated. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if you had to, I've seen plenty of data, you know, which is from credible sources that indicates California is the number one source. But, but with that said, it's not just California. They're coming from all across the country. Okay. A lot of, a lot of colder, cold weather environments, you know, a lot of places, like I mentioned, I, I saw something recently that said it, it's like California, Washington state, New York, New Jersey are really the top four. Um, and so, but, but they're coming from all across the country to Phoenix because they see there's so much opportunity I know the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics recently announced they rank Phoenix as the number five city in the country for projected tech job growth for the next decade. Okay, so you have all these tech companies coming here just this year. I mean, just last week, you had Facebook announce they're building um, an $800 million data center. You've got Google building huge data centers, Microsoft, you name it. I mean, every big tech company is building a manufacturing or or data center here. You have Taiwan Semiconductor, which is the largest producer of, of silicon microchips in the world. They announced this year they're building a 35 billion with a B dollar manufacturing center to build chips. Nice. Not to be outdone, Intel about a month later announced they're building a 20 billion dollar manufacturing center to build microchips here. So you have all these, you know, gigantic national international companies coming here and it's because they they obviously, you know, have thorough research and development departments, right? They know they know that they're strong fundamentals. They know what they're doing. And so it's a good indicator. I mean, since 2017, Amazon has built 17 distribution centers here. Wow. And they're building even more. You know what I mean? So there's just all these big companies coming here just for all these different reasons we talked about. 
Well, that's, I mean, that's all very good to hear. And it's great to hear as well that, you know, we're bringing some of this chip manufacturing over to the U.S. because that's been one of the big constraints for a lot of industries, the inability to get chips uh, throughout COVID. So it's it's good that we're going to be uh, making some of that more here in the U.S. Now, one of the things that comes to mind when I think about Phoenix and the Southwest in general is any impacts of climate change. We've had Neil Bawa on the show in the past to talk about climate change and its impact on real estate and various markets. And in Phoenix in particular, one of the things that comes to mind for me about concerns, uh, you know, if it's getting hotter, is like water availability. And are, are folks going to really, you know, be comfortable there if the temperatures keep going up? Because it's already pretty hot. So, you know, what do you see the city or the area doing to deal with that, you know, future as temperatures continue to rise and things change? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good question, Taylor. And it's a question we've been getting a lot recently from investors. And so I'm, I'm part of what's called the Greater Phoenix Economic Council, which is basically an organization that recruits and provides data to national and international companies that are looking to relocate. Okay. And so they're really on the leading edge. And you know, just about every mayor for every city in the state of Arizona, um, it just about is a part of this, this council. And so they're, they're very well connected you know, with legislation concerns like this. And so we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and they actually had a full presentation on this topic. And they basically just discussed that, you know, Phoenix has actually been preparing for this in Arizona for about the last four decades. Okay. There was legislation, you know, signed in the eighties that really preserved a lot of the water usage. And they had a statistic and, and don't quote me, this is rough. I don't want to give you the wrong data here. Um, and, and if listeners have questions, I can pull the data and send it to them exactly from the GPEC website. But it was something like we're using 20% less water now in Arizona than we did in the 1980s. And the population growth has skyrocketed significantly. So there's a, there's a lot more people here. And because of the robust canal systems that we have that pull from various places like the Gila River, the Colorado River, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really been it's been well planned out as far as the infrastructure. Okay. So it has been a hot button topic nationally um, recently. And we've even had investors just in the last eight weeks asking us about it. And so it was kind of interesting to see that. And, you know, my partner, Bikron, you know, he has a good point too. He, he mentioned this a couple of weeks ago because an investor asked him is, you know, if all these major, huge companies like Amazon, Facebook, Apple just is building a data center in the East Valley here as well. Taiwan Semiconductor, if they're investing, you know, hundreds of millions, if not tens of billions of dollars in this area, you know, they've done their thorough research on all factors because most of these are industrial buildings, you know, which rely on, on water and, and water is very important to, to what they're doing. So um, there, there's more and more data coming out um, and, and we feel pretty good about it, honestly, that, that it can continue to absorb all these people that are coming. And the good thing about Phoenix for people who aren't familiar is that, you know, the Phoenix, Maricopa County, first of all, which is where Phoenix is. And when you say the Phoenix Metro, it actually consists of several other cities. Okay. You have Phoenix, Scottsdale, Tempe, Chandler, Mesa, et cetera. There's tons of different cities. All these cities are in what's called Maricopa County. Maricopa County is the largest geographical county in the entire country. There's no county geographically bigger than Maricopa County. Okay. And so it's, it's a very low density market, you know, meaning people are not living on top of each other. There's a lot of land. Um, it's not landlocked. It's really all connected. You could literally drive 
for over an hour going from the West Valley part of Maricopa County to get to the East Valley, okay, the other side of Maricopa County. So that, that's really how big the Phoenix Metro is. So as more and more people coming here, it's just growing further and further outward, and there's so much land available, okay? So that's why you're seeing it, is it's, it's not like some of these major urban cities like New York City, Chicago, things like that are, that are so dense, you know, and that people are, are being stacked on top of each other. And so those are some of the things that, that we've been seeing. And, you know, the fact that all these big companies are coming here, you know, is encouraging for the water situation. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And they uh, certainly have a lot of, you know, engineers and, and tech people look into that. And, and for data centers in particular, cooling is a huge, huge yep. uh, aspect of right. that. So they're, they're looking at that. Now, I also wonder about the future of yourself and your company, because to, you know, uh, tell the listeners about, you know, some of the research I did about you guys is you have a, their, your portfolio there in the Phoenix area and all of your properties are, are branded so that someone can pretty easily tell if it's one of your properties or not. Right. And you're growing at a fast rate. So eventually you could theoretically hit a point where, shoot, we own too much of Phoenix and what are we going to do next? So what do you see into the future over, you know, the next couple of years, do you plan to just stick in Phoenix? And I don't know, are you going to branch out? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. I mean, ultimately, you know, when we look at our company and our goals, our number one goal is to serve our investors. Okay. And that could sound like corny or cliche, but it's true. Like if we don't get strong returns, if we're not executing our business plan and creating strong returns for investors, we don't have a business, right? Because yeah. they're not going to keep investing with us. We can't keep buying deals. And so, you know, one of our advantages is because we're so concentrated right now, like as of today, we have over 1500 units. We can get to any one of those deals within 20 to 30 minutes. Nice. Okay. So, so our asset management and our construction management is, is very efficient and in tune. Okay. And the, the thing about you know, when we look at other markets, we, we like other markets such as, I mean, some of the, the buzzword or quote unquote sexy markets right now are Boise, Idaho, you know, Salt Lake City, Colorado Springs. Some people like Vegas. We don't really like Vegas at this point. We think it's still too volatile. And, and those are all great markets, right? They have strong growth, just like Phoenix, but all those markets are tiny compared to Phoenix. Okay. Phoenix is so huge. You know, there's so much, there's so much more inventory to purchase, you know, Phoenix is the most transacted market in the country from like a brokerage standpoint, meaning buying and selling deals are constantly trading. And so, so right now, you know, for the foreseeable future, because it's, it's not only such a strong market and we think it's the number one multifamily market in the country when you look at fundamentals, um, but because, you know, we have such strong concentration here and we have advantages, our plan is to continue to grow here and scale here in Phoenix um, because there is just so much inventory and there is so much runway. Um, but, you know, as we, as we continue to grow, if we get to the point where, you know, we have so much equity um, and we have the infrastructure in place where we feel like we can responsibly go to other markets and execute, then we would look at other markets. I mean, earlier this year, we looked at Tucson, which is about an hour, hour and a half south of Phoenix, it's a different market. It's in Arizona. Obviously, people are familiar with Tucson. We looked there. Tucson is a strong market, you know, in a national context. It does better than most in the country. It's nowhere near comparable to Phoenix, you know, and it's not fair to compare it just because it doesn't have the fundamentals. You know, we, we like some of those markets I mentioned, Boise, Salt Lake City, um, Cardo Springs, places like that. So we we may look to expand um, to those types of markets in the future. But right now, we're just focused on really optimizing and building on infrastructure. You know, we're still building out our company. 
like I mentioned, we have nine employees. We're going to be hiring a couple more here soon. You know, we currently are doing all of the construction management in-house, meaning between our director of asset management, our construction manager, construction coordinator, we're bidding out all of our own vendors. We're micromanaging them every single day. Um, we're now sourcing all of our materials directly wholesale. Okay, so we buy our, our materials directly from a warehouse. We require that all of our vendors use our materials. The warehouse drop ships them at our properties on our schedule, you know, and so we truly control the supply chain, which which prevents any any vendors or construction companies from, you know, increasing prices and blaming it on inflation. Okay, so mm-hmm. so because we have that volume, we have these these processes in place, we feel like we are achieving returns that are much stronger than most people are going to find anywhere else in the country. You know, and the velocity of our deals has been 12 to 30 months. We underwrite them for a five-year horizon, but we're drastically outperforming those timelines, you know, because of these different factors. So right now, you know, our, our plan is to stay in Phoenix. I think in a couple months, you know, we'll be a top 10 buyer in Phoenix for the last two years. We'll be right there with like Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, um, and some of these big companies. And so, you know, our goal is to be the dominant force in Phoenix because um, there's just so much runway here. And so if we get to the point where we have so much demand then we may start to look elsewhere, but it has to make sense. We have to feel that we can responsibly operate and, and get the best returns for investors. So we hear a lot of folks uh, with, you know, that number of units in a concentrated area, concentrated area. you're doing your own uh, construction management. We hear a lot of folks also, you know, vertically integrating, starting their own, uh, property management, bringing that in-house. Sounds like you're, you haven't done that yet. Is that on your radar or do you not want to get into that? Yeah. You know what? We've, we've talked about it right now. We don't have any plans to um, just because the third-party manager company we work with, you know, I know the owner well, their office is right down the street. You know, they manage over 15,000 units here in the market and we're their number one client as far as number of units. So we have a lot of autonomy with them, which we really appreciate and it's been going well. Um, but we are in the process of starting our own construction company. So in the next 30 to 30 to 90 days, we're going to start hiring our own construction crews and have a general contractor who's our employee. Um, and, and that will allow us to further control you know, the, the, the labor, the time, and the energy. Right now, we're using third-party general contractors, but we're managing them each day. You know, Our construction manager, who's our employee, spends 40-plus hours a week walking units that are undergoing renovations, making sure they're staying on schedule on budget. And that's why we've been so effective, you know, is really keeping an eye on these guys. So we're going to slowly start to integrate our own construction crew, prove the concept. And then our, our goal is to build that out and have several crews. And that could have, you know, 20 to 50 employees by early to middle of next year. Um, so that, that's our focus right now is make, make sure that, you know, we build out the construction arm of the company, um, the asset management team on the real estate company, you know, is stabilized. And then if, if in the future, it makes sense to do property management, we may look at that. Um, it, it may make sense, you know, now that we're getting more volume, but we don't have any plans at this time. Hmm, interesting. Well, in general, overall, it sounds like a, a great way to uh, attack a, a great market that has good fundamentals uh, for the for the future. So definitely appreciate you teaching us all about that today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. 
That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Zach, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it, Taylor. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Good question. Um, honestly, I would say it was our first multifamily deal. You know, that might sound like a cop-out, but it, it was not a syndication. You know, we did a tenant in common or a tick structure. So at the time, I had been living off of savings for 14 months. I quit my job to pursue this. I basically had, I had burned through a lot of money and we needed to get this deal done. Okay. And so I put, you know, all the money I had left in this first deal. It was a 36 unit apartment building. And, and a, a few of us, you know, Bikron, Robert, my two partners and a couple other people, we just put in big chunks of our own money to make this happen so that we could, you know, learn firsthand how to execute a value add business plan and how to do asset management. So we had no passive investors you know, it was nitty gritty. We had to figure it out, make it work. And that was my best investment because it was a strong investment. First of all, we almost, you know, doubled the money in less than two years, but it also gave me so much experience, momentum, and confidence to move forward and really grow in the business and start to build out the syndication platform. So I'd say that's the, that's the best one was our first multifamily acquisition. Nice. You really, uh, really made a, a good bet there. You really went for it, which uh, is certainly admirable. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, good question. So this was, you know, several years ago, the Super Bowl was here in Phoenix. And I was talking to somebody, the Cardinals weren't playing in it, but the Super Bowl was here in Phoenix. And um, I, I consider this an investment that went wrong, but people were telling me how they were leasing up hotels and then subleasing them because there's so many people that comes here, there's not enough hotels available. So there was a brand new luxury hotel called Talking Stick Resort. And what I did is I reserved like a suite for four nights, Thursday through Sunday night at a thousand bucks a night with the plan of subleasing it to somebody else to make a profit. And everybody I talked to said, yeah, you're going to make a killing. Like that's the best resort. Everybody's coming here for the Super Bowl because not only was the Super Bowl there, but like the weekend after was the Phoenix Open, you know, which is a huge, a huge golf event, et cetera. So anyways... I was like, okay, awesome. I'm going to get this thing for a thousand bucks a night. I'll probably double my money at least and be able to sublease it for $2,000 a night. I put it on like Craigslist, all these websites, nothing, Taylor, no bites. So I, so I had to eat it and I stayed in the, in the hotel myself. <laughs> one night because I was like, I spent four grand. I might as well try to enjoy it. And it was boring and lonely because it was just me. 
Um, and I had to go to work like Thursday, Friday. So I like woke up and went to work. So anyways, that was not smart. I, I, I prefer multifamily. It's more conservative. It's, it is more conservative. You're not making a, a big bet on selling, being able to sell one product one weekend. Right. Thought, thought for half a second, I was trying to run the timeline in my head if maybe that was the the uh, COVID Super Bowl, but that Super, Super Bowl happened before COVID hit in 20. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This was like, this. So. I think it was, I want to say it was Seahawks Patriots. I can't remember which year it was. I want to say maybe 2015 or so. Mm. No, something like that. 2016 maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know sports, so I'm not the best guy to, to lean on for that one. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, good question. Um, honestly, it's like I said, I had quit my job and I was making really good money, you know, and I quit it because I wasn't really happy. And so I went through a lot of adversity during that time. And I had a lot of people tell me like, you're not doing the right thing. You can't do this. That's crazy. And so what I've learned is to not listen to other people. You know what I mean? Like you have to have a warrior mindset where you don't care what other people think. And I mean, obviously there's good advice out there. So you should listen to some of those people. But if, if you have a sense that people are being critical of you, or giving you negative advice or discouraging you, and it's contrary to what your instincts tell you, then don't listen to them because not everybody has your best interests in mind. And just because they think they have your best interests in mind doesn't mean they're right. So I think that's what I've learned is to really follow my instincts and I don't and, and not listen to everybody. You know what I mean? You obviously you want to listen to good guidance and, and people who are in your corner, but if somebody hasn't done what you want to do, don't listen to them. You know what I mean? And if, if they have advice that you think is is not in line with your goals, then just and do what you think you need to do, you know, to achieve goals. So that's that's kind of my my response there. Absolutely. As a real estate investor, even one that's not making uh, quite as big a move as you did, you're going to hear naysayers, people who say, you know, blah blah blah, real estate, you're not going to make money, so on and so forth. That's usually people who have never invested in real estate and don't actually know what they're talking about. So yeah. exactly, exactly, that's right. Yeah, you can't listen to the negativity and the criticism. That's right. Absolutely. Zach, thank you for joining us today, teaching us about Phoenix, your business model, the future of the market, and all these other great things. Congratulations on your success so far. If folks want to reach out, they want to get in touch with you, they want to find your uh, company or any of that great stuff, where can they track you down? Yeah, thanks so much, Taylor. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. I had a lot of fun here today. Um, yeah, if, if you want to learn more about us, you can go to our website, rise48equity.com. It's R-I-S-E. The number's 48equity.com. You can email me, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at rise48equity.com. And on our website, you can you can set up a call. You can click a link, set up a call if you want to, want to learn anything about what we're doing. So thanks so much, Taylor. Awesome. Well, thank you once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always real with you guys. That gives me the warm and fuzzies because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I want to thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.